The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. God, we, we know we have promises from you tonight. God, we just begin to receive. I begin to release destiny. I begin to release strength. Where there's been discouragement, now comes the strength. Where there's been challenges, now comes the victory. Where there's been lies, now comes the truth. I see God beginning to uncover, uncover things that were hidden. And you begin to have revelation of what's been fighting you and deceiving you. And it's going to break you through in Jesus' name. There's victory in the house. And literally the things that have been fighting you that you don't know what it is, is going to be revealed. And you'll be breaking through with great authority to run without like weight on your legs. It's going to work in Jesus' name. Victory is here. Life is here. For I'm raising up a new apostolic and prophetic and evangelistic apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. It's all coming forward in this season. This place will be a sounding trumpet to the nations for fivefold ministry, for business leaders, marketplace awakening in the name of Jesus. I've ordained it. I've marched it. I've called it. I've marshaled these things. The Spirit of God, I see angelic forces coming through the power of the Holy Spirit and empowering business leaders, empowering ministers, and the old order of the old wineskin will begin to be transformed into the new wineskin in this season. And the marketplace leaders will rise up and declare revival on the earth. They're coming in Jesus' name. They're coming in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, I bless the people of God. We come into agreement with your word. I hear the Spirit of God saying, I know you. I see you. I am well acquainted with your troubles and your sorrows and your pain. I am well acquainted and I am well able to deliver you again this very night. Thank you, Jesus. So amen. Go ahead tonight and by faith, say welcome to the meeting and high five somebody tonight. Come on. Woo. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. Come on, brother. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Jesus is in the house. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Let me talk to you about this tonight. We have a lot to get into. I'm going to teach on some things, and we are going to prophesy. I'm going to turn into prophecy dispenser in just a little bit here. Praise God. God is so good. And again, I want to say thank you to Pastor Tafara, Pastor Chipo. You guys have been so gracious to us. And, you know, you travel the nations, and people, some people you connect with, some people you just have acquaintances with, and you enjoy the journey together. But Pastor Tafar and Pastor Chipo, we're honored. My wife and I both were honored to call you our friends. It's nice to spend time with you, sir. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your amazing house. Amen. Isn't God good? Thank you, Jesus. Man, I'm kind of fired up tonight. I feel like we're going to slap the devil right off his feet. Amen. Praise God. Do you know the plans of God in one moment, five minutes in the presence of God, can wreck the plans of devil for five years? We can confuse the kingdom of darkness so bad they won't know what to do with you for a whole year. How about if we mess them up so bad they don't even know what to do with you in 2020? Right? Praise God. Going to get a backhand from heaven to the kingdom of darkness. Spun around and on the mat. Thank you, Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, Everybody say out loud right now. Say, the battle is not over until I win. Let's say it one more time. My battle is not over until I win. And I win tonight. In Jesus' name. Come on, guys. God is so good. I got to tell you, Jesus loves you more than you love yourself. Jesus wants you to win more than you do. You know, a lot of times we're all crying out, oh, God, save my family members. Help this person. Help them. And the truth is God loves them more than you do. 
That's the real truth. And we think, well, if God loved him, he'd do something. He did something 2,000 years ago by sending Jesus to this earth, dying on the cross, coming back to life. Like the song says, he came from heaven to earth to show the way. I wish I was like Lariso, right? But you recognize this is that you begin to see that the Spirit of God is here, and he wants to empower you to make lasting change in the name of Jesus. God's going to answer some of your questions, woman of God. Right here, you have the, the nice necklace on. God's going to answer some of your questions. You've had questions. I see question marks around you, and the Lord's going to begin to bring solutions to questions. I see two double doors opening for you. They're metallic. They're gate-like. And God's going to open these doors for you and say yes to the new, out with the old, yes to the new. I believe it involves owning property, and God's going to bring you into a new location and begin to open it up and give you the keys to a new setting in your life. And it shall be well with you. God knows and God has heard. And the tears I saw you crying in the last eight months, some of those are going to be wiped away and you're going to come into a fresh season of rejoicing as you begin to go forward and possess what belongs to you. The Lord says it is so and it will unfold in your life. Amen. Praise God. Oh, yeah, well, that's good. Praise God. We didn't get all dressed up for nothing. So praise God. Man, you know what I've learned about meetings? If I don't have a good time, you won't. I'm serious. A lot of people come to meetings, they're like, we need to be holy. It's a holy meeting. And God's just like, oh. you know, like if, if you're in a meeting and you hate it, I remember praying for hours sometimes. I'm like, I would just dread trying to do my prayer time and spend time in prayer. Okay, I got to go pray now. I got to seek God now. I just got to pray and pray and pray and pray. And I'd say, God, I just... I just dread it when I do that. I'm sorry. And the Lord's like, I was dreading it before you even started. God wants relationship with us. Some of you, God is not as religious as you think he is. He's not. God created humor. God created entertainment. God created holiness. He created all these things. But God is multifaceted, and he created your personality. If you don't think God has a good sense of humor, just look at the person next to you. Uh-oh. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm leaving. Pastor Tafar, I'll see you tomorrow. Praise God. I tell you, Jesus loves you. Praise God. Praise God. Man, I'm just excited to be here tonight. It's, it's good to be in South Africa. Praise God with the people of God. What a good night in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want to talk to you about something briefly by way of introduction. We're going to jump into some prophetic ministry at the end, but I want to talk to you briefly about something in the introduction. Then I'm going to jump into another topic that I think is going to help you. I feel like the Holy Ghost told me to do it this way, so I'm going to do it like this. So I'm going to start out talking about this. The nations are literally being prepared for a fresh move of God. And when I say a fresh move of God, I don't mean the gospel is changing. I don't mean God's doing a brand new thing on the earth. God's not doing anything new at all. He's doing what he's always done for 2,000 years. We just wake up to that fact. Right? A lot of people are like, oh, God's, God's doing a new thing. God's not doing a new thing. Jesus died 2,000 years ago. He said, preach the gospel, occupy till I return. But it's an awakening of our five senses. It's an awakening of good revelatory teaching that revival can happen. And really, we're just waking up to what we have. Does that make sense? All, re all revival is is waking up to what we have. It's not like the Lord comes in and he's like, you know, you've cried out and screamed long enough. And you have cried out day and night. And then your intercessors have, have cried until the bowl got full. You know, it talks about that, the harp and the bowl in the book of Revelation. You pray the prayers of the saints. Just cry a little louder. And finally, the bowl gets, the bowl gets full. And the Lord's like, finally. You know, I guess I'll have to move. Right? We almost, it almost seems like an, it's an inconvenience for God to pour out revival on us. He's like, oh. I guess I'll have to bring my spirit and light up your church and your meeting. That's not God. He's waiting on us, man. He's like, revival's based on what you want to do. You know, and it's just a choice of saying, I choose to be full of life. The reason people are waiting on revival or the outpouring of the Holy Ghost is because they're emotional. They're like, I don't feel it, Jesus. 
I don't feel it. It has nothing to do with what you feel, right? Now, there's times I'm in meetings, and the power of God knocks me on the ground, and I do the crappie flop, you know? Yeah, that's a fish in America. Uh, I do the fish flop, right? I'm like, I'm bouncing all over the ground. You feel the presence of God. You feel like electricity shooting through your body, and you're like, oh, Jesus, this is awesome. But you know what? That is not revival. That's just an encounter. You're having a moment. Revival can happen when you don't feel nothing. We've been so trained to go by what we feel, by what we think about a thing, how we experience something. It's not about an experience. Experiences will deceive you. Praise God. If you need an experience every day just to know God's real, that's unbelief. Jesus said a wicked and perverse generation looks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except the sign of Jonah. And he was talking about the gospel. Meaning, the Son of Man will go on the earth, and he'll be resurrected on the third day. Right? The sign we have is Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Put your faith in it, and you can walk in all the revival you can handle. Okay? Signs, wonders, and miracles consistently flow from that revelation more than the other. Okay, now there's a lot we could talk about with that. Now, when I'm getting into this, the Lord began to speak to me and say, we need fathers and mothers of the faith to stand up in their authority in the body of Christ today. Really strong. And the reason we need that, the reason we need that is because I was praying a few years ago, and I began to see different political situations around the world. And the different political situations were challenging, and they were difficult. And there was things happening uh, that seemed negative in different nations and People, you know, voting God out of their nation. People letting unrighteousness rule and reign. And uh, just a, a corrupt form of thinking entering the world. And you still see this. It's on the rise. You see it. And I said, Lord, is this it? You know, as Pastor Tafara says so many times, he said, people are always worried about their eschatology, the end, you know. And, uh, you know, I don't know where you stand, but, you know, a lot of people are like, are you pre? Are you mid? Are you post? And personally, I'm pan. I think it's all going to pan out. Praise God. People are like, you can't have that place. Yes, I can. Because people that taught stuff 10 years ago have to change it every time they predict something about the book of Revelation. It's an unfolding apocalypsis, which means it's continuously unfolding. Let me give you a big theological word tonight, okay? There's a theological word called sensus plenier. Sensus plenier is a Latin word used by the Catholics that means a deeper, fuller meaning. And sometimes something happens in the Word of God and you see it repeat itself in history. Or have you ever been in a meeting and somebody gets a prophetic word and then somebody else over here is saying, that sounds like me. Is it legal for me to claim that word? Yes, it is. Sense is plenty. God can do more than one thing at a time. There's a deeper, fuller meaning sometimes. Now, when we're looking at these things, the Lord began to show me that fathers and mothers need to rise up. The reason is, is I said, God, you know, it seems like things are going down. I said, God, are we in the last days? You know, did you know that Paul the Apostle thought he was in the last days? The disciples said they're in the last days. And did you know that they were correct? They were correct. You know, a lot of scriptures point to that. They thought even the book of Thessalonians, you know, Thessalonians was written to refute a letter that had been written to the body saying that they'd missed the coming of the Lord. When you read Thessalonians, it's Paul trying to correct the fact that that church thought they missed the coming of Jesus. Isn't that something? So when you read it, you realize, oh, he's trying to basically say, no, we're, it's all good in the hood. Okay? And all the doctrine Paul taught them, he's like, remember, we talked about the second coming of Jesus. Remember, we talked about the catching away of the saints. Remember, we talked about this, that, and the other thing. And Paul taught all of that to them. And the time he was with them was two weeks. <laughs> he gave them all the doctrine he knew in two weeks. And they're like, right, <laughs> you know. So isn't that something? But you get to recognize these things. Now, I started asking God these questions. I said, are we in the last days? And here's my conclusion. We are in the last days. Either way, it's your and my last days. We're going to be on this, this world maybe for another 80 years or more. And then we're out of here, one way or another. So these are your and my last days. People say, what, is Jesus returning soon? 
You know what? Get busy about the gospel and quit worrying about that. Expect his coming. Expect it every day. It, you know, say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but get after the kingdom's business, you know? And so I started asking God. I said, this, it seems like things are going down, down, down. And, you know, I started thinking about Rome, and I started thinking about all the historical things and the cycles that have gone through history. And sometimes when we think we have it so terrible in the world today, if you compare it with early church history, it's not that bad. Now, there's some terrible things happening in the world. I do not mean to put that down in any way. There's a lot of people dying for their faith today. There's, you know, by and large, the numbers of people that are giving their life for the gospel is unprecedented today. And yet, and yet, I said, Lord, is this the end? What's going to happen in politics? What's going to happen in marketplace? What's going to happen in the church? And the Lord said, basically, he said, there's going to be one more standing guard one more group of people. He said, no, it's not the end because the young lions are coming. He told me that. I heard that at least five to six years ago. He said, the young lions are coming. And the young lions won't be like a lot of the people today. The young lions will have seen it all, heard it all. Imagine this. Do, do any of you remember, now this happened in the United States, but do you remember when, when September 11th happened? Does anybody have any recollection of that at all over here? Now, those are one of the things we had happen in our nation that was very, you know, significant. And everybody in, in our nation, they know where they were when that happened. They can remember the, the event, no matter where they were. And our generation, our kids, grew up already. My children, who are 18, 19 years old, watch this stuff on TV. They watch it on their cell phone, and they know everything that happened just like we do. They see it. It's the first generation that watches everything in real time. In the last 20 years, they can just replay it. And so anything that happens looks like another video to them. Meaning this, it's almost like our generation is becoming so desensitized that there's going to come a point that they don't really care what anybody thinks. And those ones that get the Spirit of God to apprehend their heart and their mind, they won't care what religion thinks either. And the young lions will stand up. And they'll say, I don't know what you all did with your generation, but I'm going to believe the word of God. And I'm going to do what God called me to do. And either lead, follow, or get out of my way. That's what the young lions are going to sound like. And there's things happening with it. And they need old lions to begin to disciple and mentor them. They need it. There will be weak among them. There will be all these different things, yes. But the young lions are coming and this is so important. Now, I want to jump into this tonight. We're going to begin to minister. It's going to be powerful for you. I believe God's going to mightily touch you. I want to talk to you about a, uh, a teaching here tonight that the Lord uh, inspired on my heart some time ago. And I want to just begin to go down this road. You know, when we talk about our value, we talk about where we come from. We talk about we're made in God's image and likeness. And you know, did you know, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if people know this, but did you know that the devil hates you? <laughs> Pastor Tafara's like, <laughs> it's kind of like when he sent me into the lions over there. He's just like, I wouldn't go in there. I'm from here, you know. <laughs> but it's true. It's like, did you know the devil hates you? You know, a lot of people say, why does the devil hate me and all these things? And, and I've asked people that before. I was like, you know the devil hates you. And people are like, yeah, I know he hates me. But the question is, most people don't know and they don't know how to answer properly is, why? Why does he hate you so bad? What's it all about? What's this whole story about? Why does the devil have such disdain for you? A lot of people know he does. They just don't know why. Why is he so angry? Why is Satan's anger so off the chain? Right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this tonight because this will give you a glimpse into your value. Did you know that when you sin... Sin is not, it is natural, but it's more about the holiness violation in the supernatural than it is the natural. You know, a lot of people don't believe hell lasts forever. I think hell lasting forever is the only logical conclusion to the violation of God's holiness. Okay? Thank God we believe in grace. Thank God there's a Jesus. <laughs> Thank God for Jesus. Amen? But listen to me. People say, I don't believe in hell. Well, 
you will. You know? And people go through it, and they say, well, I read this book. I'm like, well, I read the Bible. I don't care what your book says. I read the Bible. And the Bible's pretty clear. Pretty clear. There's different levels to hell. There's different locations of hell. There's Gehenna. There's Tartarus. Then there's the Abuso, different places. And there's one that's, you know, different forms of punishment. And one is the outer darkness, the Abuso. That's a different setting altogether. I want to get into all that tonight. But there's things about it you begin to recognize, okay? Now, when we're talking about some of these things, when you understand how wonderful God is, and people say, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? How could he do it? Well, first of all, he doesn't. He doesn't. God's crying out to the world, repent and be saved. Because the the reason people think that way is because they think God's in control. He loves people so much, he gave everything he had, including this world, to you and I, to Adam. He gave it to him, and Adam blew it. And God was limited by his own covenant connection to Adam, where he said, Take of this world, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion, run this place. And Adam's like, awesome, here you go, devil. He gave it over to the devil, okay? And God could not break his own word and take that authority from the devil that he gave Adam. That would be like Pastor Tafara giving me a brand new vehicle. And then, and then all of a sudden, I go give it to somebody else. And if he were to say, I think I want my car back, it's too late, right? And now we know Pastor Tafar would never do that. He's a big giver. He's going to do all these things. I'm just saying, though, people that do those kind of things, you know, you can't do it. The authority has been passed. And to do something about it, to just say, well, I think I just want to do it, is illegal. That's how God works. Okay? So God gave the authority of this world to Adam. Adam gave it to the devil when he listened to his word over God's word. Okay? So let's talk about the spiritual violation of God's holiness for a second. When you begin to recognize that God is not just good, he's not just holy. We use the word holy like, wow, that's, that's amazing. It means live clean. Don't smoke, cuss, chew, or go with those that do, right? Right, whatever that is. <laughs> and uh, you begin to recognize that that's not what holiness is. Holiness means separated. And God is the most separated being that's ever been. I've had people, atheists have said to me, well, where did God get his beginning? Where, did he, where, did he, where was he created? Where was his start? Everything has a start. I said, number one, it shows how small your brain is for you to not be able to comprehend eternity. Okay? We're not designed to comprehend eternity. It shows that we're created and he's not. That's the one thing. You can't even comprehend eternity. It's, it's without fathom in our mind. It's like, how do you, what? No beginning. Why do you think you can't comprehend that? Right? It's like people that talk about evolution. The Big Bang happened. Well, what was before that? They can't answer that. They're like, all these geniuses are like, uh, yeah. they don't know what to do. Right? And so then I say to people, they're like, well, everything has a beginning. I said, well, no, God's like math. And they say, what? I said, two plus two equals four. Who invented that? Where was that originated? Who created that concept? Or was it, I was just there? And they're like, God's like that. The principle of two plus two equals four, I was, was. It was always in existence. Math always was. Whether there is nothing, zero, or whether there was something, plus another, (laughs) right? It doesn't matter. Math always was. Nobody invented math. It's a principle that has always existed. We just discovered it, right? That's God. God's the same as math. Always has been, always will be, no matter what happens. The concept exists, okay? Now, when you begin to understand some of these things, you also have to recognize God's holiness. God is the most pure, holy being that there is. And people think when we sin or we do things wrong that God gets angry and, oh, he's going to get me. He's going to get me. No, it's not like that. God is so holy and so pure 
that we don't understand it. And the only way we can really logically understand the holiness of God is when you realize the spiritual violation of his holiness happened for the first time ever when the devil sinned in pride. When the devil sinned in pride, and I'm going to break into this in a moment. When the devil sinned in pride, I believe God's holiness, it was so pure, so beyond our natural reason. It's so far out there. It's not a natural holiness. It's supernatural, beyond our comprehension. That literally when the devil sinned against God and he, he, he began to exalt himself in pride against God, sin stained heaven. And when that happened, I believe as a byproduct of that, hell was created instantly. As a byproduct of a punishment that is prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, the devil then tricked Adam and Eve to believe in him, and therefore that's the reason people are taken along to hell. They can go there with their father. It's tight, but it's right. Come on. Now listen, don't have to. And I'm not trying to be negative, but listen now. Jesus, or God I should say, is so pure and so holy that when that violation through pride from the devil stained heaven, there was no punishment. If you understand how great God's holiness is, how pure, how amazing, how wonderful, how beyond our comprehension is, there's actually nothing to justify fixing that crime. I'll say it a better way. There is no punishment that could be done in all of the universe that could correct that crime because nothing is greater than God. Who's going to rise up to his equal and say, let me fix that problem. So the only punishment that could happen was hell. And that is why hell burns forever because it's not enough. The punishment of the fire, it burns day and night and will be thrown into the lake of fire. The reason is it will never satisfy the violation of God's holiness. Now listen. So we recognize that's what began to happen. Now, in this process, there's a reason I believe the devil fell. I believe he hates you. He hates me. He hates anybody that loves God. He hates people that don't love God. And you begin to recognize why. Let me give you a few scriptures, and let's jump into this tonight. This is going to help you. This is going to show you how much God loves you and the value you have in your life. Let's start out here in Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8 and verse 5. Psalm chapter 8 and verse 5. It says, what is man that you are mindful of? And verse 4 says, and it goes on into verse 5 and says, for you have made him a little lower than the angels, right? And you've crowned him with glory and honor. That word angels, and maybe if you have a Bible in your center column, it'll use the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim, right? Now, if you look in your center column, it says Elohim, or some of your Bibles will say it, but the word angels, actually the original guys who wrote this, or the translators of the Bible, they read uh, uh, Psalm chapter 8, verse 5, and I think they freaked out, and they just wrote angels in there. Because Elohim is the, in the first five books of Moses, it's specifically used for Jehovah God. It means God. Elohim, right? So when it says, You've, you have made him a little lower than the angels, the actual literal translation is, what is man that you are mindful of him? You made him a little lower than yourself. And it's almost a question mark like, this, us? We're a little lower than God? Okay. But it's true. And as a matter of fact, the rank of authority in the universe, because if you look at this scripture, you look at other scriptures, and I'm going to unpack this for you tonight and interweave why I believe the devil lost his glory and fell and why he got into pride. And you recognize this here. It says, what is man that you're mindful of him? You made him a little lower than the angels, or I should say God. You recognize the rank and authority of the universe goes like this. 
God, man, angels, animals, mosquitoes, pond scum, amoeba, bacteria, demons. Everybody okay? You're like, I don't know if I believe that. Well, you should get in the Bible some more and find out who you are. Some of you walking around trying to figure out who you ain't. I know I'm speaking really bad English tonight. And so you realize that. Now, let's, let's look at this. So we realize you're made a little lower than angels. Say, I'm a little bit lower than God. I'm going to give you a few more scriptures. Let's go forward with this. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 through 3. Remember, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he's saying, hey, guys. He said, why do you have all these disputes among each other? Why are you arguing and fighting all the time? I mean, brother takes brother to court? Are you kidding me? He said, do you not know that you shall judge angels? Again, if we're a little lower than angels, what in the world? No, we're going to stand up and we will judge angels by the name of Jesus. And I believe that's talking about the fallen angels. Okay? So we have the authority to judge angels. We're higher than angels. You have more authority than angels. I have a whole teaching, like a a several-part series called Archangels, Servants of Fire. And I go into in-depth teaching on angels. As a matter of fact, Pastor, when I was teaching it, I had an angelic visitation. I used to make fun of people that had angelic visitations. I'd be like, yeah, sure. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and then I heard these words. I am Gabriel, and I come from the throne of God. And I started screaming. <laughs> I did, too. Heather's like, whoa. <laughs> so she, she recorded my encounter. I think she found great entertainment in it. But God began to tell me what my next year would look like. He began to say all this stuff. He said, I come to you now at the return of your ministry and the turn of the tide of your ministry. I come from the throne of God to declare to you your ministry begins now. I was like, oh, Jesus. And, and literally the Lord said to me, he said, many people have tried to call you their son and you've called people your father. He said, but none of them are your father. I am your father. That's what God said to me through this angel. Good times. That will get your attention. And I think God almost did it with humor. He's probably like, Michael, <laughs> send Joseph always teases people about angelic encounters. <laughs> Gabriel, go, go visit Joseph. I'm sure that's how it went. And I think God is a sense of humor. He likes seeing me freak out. And so I, I was like that. I was like, oh! I was preaching and teaching. And all of a sudden, the power of God came over me. And I heard it shout, I am Gabriel. I was like, ah! It was awesome. And so... Praise God. (laughs) So thank you, Jesus. So understanding some of this, though, you begin to realize we're going to judge angels. We're going to see some of these things. We're going to have these encounters. We're going to begin to see all that. But listen, you're going to judge angels. That's one reason the devil hates you so bad. Okay? Now, I want to bring your attention to a specific part of Scripture that a lot of people get confused all the time. All the time. I want to talk to you about the character of the devil I want to talk to you about some of these things and how it relates to you. And I believe there's a a special insight you get in a very specific book in the Bible that begins to break down a special scene, and we get a behind-the-scenes look at something that was happening during this special narrative that you don't see anywhere else in the Bible. And this is found in the book of Job, chapter 1. And in the book of Job... It says the sons of God presented themselves before the Lord in chapter 1. And then it says, and Satan appeared with them. And the Lord said to him, what have you been doing? Now, I just want to kind of stop right there. And we're looking at this, obviously, verse 7. But it says, it says uh, that he presented himself in front of the presence of God. Now, I have an issue with that. Because isn't he the guy that made war with Michael and all these things and he got cast out of heaven? What is he doing walking in front of God with the other angels? Well, remember, he wasn't in his original authority anymore. Now, he's standing in someone else's authority. The guy that used to walk with God in the cool of the day. And God could not say to him, get out of my presence. Because he was showing up with Adam's Security badge. How you doing, God? And God's like, hey, punk. 
you know I'm going to beat you. You got me here in this legal battle, but believe me, at the end, I'm going to checkmate you. So good to see you, Lou. Too much. (laughs) I don't think God likes the devil at all. I don't think God's using the devil as under-table deals to, to do things to your life to get things done. I think Jesus and God, they work in legal terms. They work according to their word. And so when they deal with the devil, they literally are dealing with him according to the word. Jesus himself said to the devil, it is written, right? He didn't say, you make me angry, Lou. I'm sick of you, Lou. He didn't do that. He said, it is written, punk, right? Now listen. <laughs> we realize something about this, though, that in this process, here's, here's, here's uh, Satan appearing before God. He's there in Adam's authority, wearing Adam's vest, his security badge. I have access. I have total security access. I can beep my way in the gate and come on in with the other angels. Hey, guys, yeah, right? Devil's nasty. And he used to be beautiful. I think he's all messed up now. I think he's like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, you know? My precious, right? <laughs> Nobody. I think that's him. I think he comes limping in, you know, like that, right? Right? That's, that's the devil. That's Lou. Come limping into the room. Right? What are you doing in here, Lou? Wandering the earth, precious, right? Okay, too much. Okay, so we begin to recognize some of these things. Everybody's like, huh? So we recognize some of these things. Here all of a sudden we see this happening, and then you begin to realize that in context, he looks at the devil, and, and he says, have you considered my servant Job? And he's like, I can't touch him. There's a hedge of protection around him. There's all these things going on. I can't do this. I can't do that. And you realize that, that, that uh, the Lord says there's none like him on the earth. He's blameless and upright, one who fears God and shuns evil. Have you considered him? I think when you really look into it, I think what God was really saying is, is this guy has more authority than you do. And I don't think the Lord was saying, hey, go ahead, have Adam, hurt him, do these things to him. I think what he was saying is, because there's a very revealing part, he says, see, all that he has is in your hand. Behold. And you recognize that because I don't think the devil even knew totally what he got when he deceived Adam. I think his perception was, can't touch that guy, that's God's. And all of a sudden, God, because it's legal, God said, you're stupid. But you can't kill him because life and death is in the power of his tongue. And these are legal terms that are being exchanged between God and the devil. This wasn't an opinion. This wasn't an emotional conversation. This was legal jargon. And the devil all of a sudden realized, I'm going to make him curse God. I have legal access to do things because I have authority on this earth. Adam gave it to me. And in the Old Testament, people couldn't stop him. There was no mediator. There was no Holy Ghost. There was no way to do anything except David, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, could make demons leave by playing a harp. That's the only instance you see. And so in this process, here's, here's the devil. And he begins to say, great. So he goes after Job. We know the story. But here's the part I wanted to point out to you. It gives us a snapshot of how the devil, I believe, views us. There were three guys in this story that began to come and talk to Job. And how many know they were really not encouraging? It's like you got a word of faith guy, you got a grace guy, and you got a Baptist. You know, I mean, they're all like, you know, right? Um, Whatever. Pick your religion. And so you realize that they came and did these things, right? And they're talking to Job, trying to break it down. And there was a young guy named Eliphaz. And Eliphaz is the guy I want to point out and and draw out some interesting narrative here that gives you kind of a revealing scene behind the veil as to what was happening. Now, these three guys were in the same area as Job when this stuff's going down. And in this moment, the devil, I believe, was on the scene. And I believe Eliphaz was in the same area. And one night, I believe he happened to be a little too close to an entity that was rhetorically talking out loud, and he picked up on it. 
And it's here in Job chapter 4. In Job chapter 4. Now let's take a look at this. We know what the beginning, what happened there. We know all these things, and we begin to recognize this. Job chapter 4, verse 12. Now listen to me very carefully. It says in Job chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. This is actually a prophetic encounter. Okay? You ever, you ever have these kind of things that, that you're just like, am I awake? Am I not awake? Something's happening right now. I hear something. Something's going on. He was discerning with more than his natural ability here. Verse 13, in the disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falls on men. Why is it some of this stuff often happens when you're still and it's nighttime? Verse 14, fear came upon me. And trembling, which made all my bones shake. Here's a guy that didn't have the Holy Ghost in him, didn't have Jesus. He's having an encounter with a fallen archangel. And it goes on, it says in verse 15, Then a spirit passed before my face, and the hair on my body stood up. You ever been in a position where the hair on your neck stood up? The hair on my head would stand up if I had some. Or the hair on your arm stands up, you're just like, Mufasa, right? It's a scary deal. In verse 16, it goes on to say it. Now he's describing something. A spirit passed before his face. Something happened. He's like, there's something going on here. And then it said it stood still. So he could make something out. Couldn't identify it, but something was there, right? It says it stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. He was trying to discern what he was looking at. He's having a prophetic encounter. And it said, then I heard a voice saying, in verse 16, I heard a voice saying. Now he begins to hear what this entity is saying. Now listen to these words, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 17. Look at this. Verse 17. Can a man or can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? What in the world? Can a mortal be more righteous than God or man be more pure than his maker? I believe that was literally understanding something about the gospel that was coming on the earth. Okay? There's things that were mixed up here. Verse 18. Now, this gets really clear. If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, look at the accusation against God. Verse 9. How much more these who dwell in houses of clay, talking about humans, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. They, they die like a moth in his eyes. These weak people. Verse 20. They're broken in pieces from morning till evening. They perish forever and no one regards or cares. Verse 21. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. They don't even understand the supernatural. They don't understand anything. God trusts these ones? Now, in this narrative, you're seeing what I believe is a rhetorical conversation between the devil and himself. Walking around talking and cursing men and saying, I can't believe it. Have you ever seen people that um, have been through so much difficulty in life? Sometimes they're homeless and they're walking the street and they've had so much substance abuse in them that they're walking and just talking. It's a sad sight, isn't it? But I believe that's similar to how the devil is. Walking about and talking rhetorically about his problems, right? So in this setting, I believe this is happening. He's there, and all of a sudden, you begin to recognize there's something that's revealed, why he hates man so much. I believe we get a picture of why he loathes you so badly when you begin to go back to the beginning, and you realize that in the beginning, it says also later here uh, in, verse, in Job chapter 38, verse 4, you begin to get a picture of something. And I want to take your attention to Job chapter 8, verse 38, verse 7. Job chapter 38 and verse 7. And it says here, in the middle of the science lesson that God's giving Job. Remember that? At the end of the chapter, God's giving him a science lesson. Uh, maybe you know where the hailstones are stored, Job. Or like the sea. You know how that works, right? You know, you really got it together. You know how the stars ended up up there, right? Like you, you were a part of that. You've got it all figured out. You're, you really got it going on, Job. You're brilliant, right? And he's like, oh, God, help me, right? You recognize that. That's my version. And you realize in verse 7, 
you see something here, and there's this particular statement that comes out in Job 38, verse 7, and it's talking about the foundations of the earth, the cornerstone, the way the earth is put together. And then verse 7 says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. That's talking about the angels, and the angels were there when God created the universe. Okay? Now get the picture. Use your imagination with me for a moment. In this picture, you begin to realize that here's God, and he steps out into the darkness. And when God stepped into darkness, Pastor, you and I know this, he didn't step into darkness and go, Woo! It's dark out here! <laughs> he stepped into darkness and said, Light be! He stepped into darkness and created the light. Our God is an awesome God, right? So this began to happen, and I believe in that moment when he created light, Things begin to unfold in the vast expanse of space and time. God created time. There was no time. And then God's like, let's put a measuring stick on this thing. Right? And all of a sudden, the angels, the sons of God, when they saw him do this thing, because they themselves are created beings by him, I believe when they saw this, they went, oh, that's awesome, God. And he's like, you boys ain't seen nothing yet. And he turned around, and he went like this and blew all the stars into the cosmos. And they went flying everywhere. And the angels were like, oh, that's amazing, God. He's like, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, he pulled them into this galaxy we live in. He said, check this out. And he's like, and he put the sun there. And the angels are like, oh. He's like, yeah. You like that? And they're like, you're awesome. He's like, yeah. And then they go over, and he's like, check this one out. And he begins to make Saturn and put lines around it. And they're just like, God, you're awesome. They started to shout, and these things happened. They put Mars, Pluto, all these things out there. Begins to do all this stuff, and they're like, God, you're amazing. Yeah. Right? The angels are shouting. And all of a sudden, in that moment, I think he looked at them, and he's got his arm behind his back. They're like, what, what are you doing, God? He's like, check this out. And all of a sudden, he's holding a little blue globe. And he puts it on a tilt and spins it. And they're like, oh, that one's blue. He's like, yeah. Right? The angels are looking at him. And all of a sudden, he said, check this out. Come closer. Check this out. And they get next to him. And like Google Earth, they zoom down to the planet's surface. Bam. Right? They're on there, and they're looking around, and the angels are looking at him. He's like, yeah? And he's like, check this out. And he reaches his arm out and speaks and breathes life into the sea. And all of a sudden, dolphins and whales and things begin to break out of the sea. Dinosaurs in the ocean, all this stuff. And he looks on the land and begins to speak to it. And running animals begin to come up over the horizon. And the angels are going, ah, that's awesome. They're alive. Right? And these things begin to happen, and all of a sudden the birds fly, and things happen, and he puts the sun, and then the moon, the two great lights, and all this. And at about this time, I think Lou was flying around, you know, with his winged instruments, right? Nobody? You realize that? Like, uh, Ezekiel says he used to do that, that he might have been the worship leader in heaven. He used to see him flying with an accordion. No? <laughs> or bagpipes. The devil might have been Scottish. Okay, whatever. So you realize that. So these things are happening. <laughs> and so all of a sudden the devil begins to land there. Or Lucifer at the time, I believe he wanted to see what was going on. This is the way I read it. This is how I think it went down. He stands all of a sudden next to God. And I believe God is there and he sees the animals. He sees all these things and he's like, what's going on here? This is interesting. What's happening? And all of a sudden, the Lord said, boys, check this out. And they're looking at him, and they're like, what now, God? What are you going to do now? He's like, you guys haven't seen nothing up until this moment. Are you ready? And they're like, you're awesome, God. He's like, you guys rock. And they're like, you rock. That's oh, just my version. And so... And all of a sudden, I believe the Lord said, check this out. And he began to go down to his knee. And as he began to do that, I believe he pulled up the dirt. And in the moment he pulled up the dirt, I believe Lucifer came around and got very interested in what he was seeing. He looked at all the deer running around. 
He looked at the whales. He looked at the birds. He looked at the blue skies. And he's looking at this dirt. And he's looking at God. And God begins to bring it up and he said, what are you doing? And the Lord said, you'll see. And he begins to pull the dirt up. And in this moment, God begins to form the arms, the face, the legs, the body, and rises it up out of the dirt. And the devil took a step back, Lucifer, and his attention is at an all-time high, staring at this dirt. And the Lord begins to look into the dirt, and he opens the mouth and opens the chest, and God looks at the boys, and he looks at Lou, and he breathes in and breathes out. And who he was went into the dirt, his own image and likeness. And Lou saw this happen. And the dirt went and took its first breath and stood up on its feet. And in that moment, Lucifer realized he's an angel. But he does not have God's very life essence inside of him. So God made dirt filled with his very image and likeness. And I believe Lucifer in that moment went, no, no. No. I think he looked at God and said, how dare you? I hate it. I hate it. How dare you put dirt above me? He said, I'll kill it. I'll kill it, God. And I hate you. And I believe the devil's rage erupted on the scene. And he said, I'm the one that should be running dirt around, not dirt telling me what to do. And rage and envy and jealousy erupted. And I believe in that moment, in that moment, that's when war broke out in heaven. And the devil turned and said, see what he's done? He's betrayed us all. And the devil began to do that, and there was a mutiny that broke out. And I believe Michael stepped up in that moment. And I believe he's like, I deserve the worship, the devil's saying. And I believe in that moment, Michael's like sharpening his sword. Shing! 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 What was that? I think Michael's like the muscle in heaven. You know what I'm talking about? I think Michael has a little bit of an Italian accent, right? He's like, what is he saying, God? I'm going to go bust him in the mouth. It's all these artsy guys you got to watch out for. The artsy guys are flying about. I watch them fly around like a butterfly. And here he is saying, I'm going to get the worship. God, let me go take care of this punk right now. Right? I believe the devil literally came out of heaven like a bolt of lightning. Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning from the end of Michael's fist. <laughs> and I believe that's where a crater is somewhere on the earth with the devil's face on it with a bruised mark. Right? And I think he was transformed from the worship leader into Gollum. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and in that, though, but then you begin to recognize the devil hates you. He hates you because I believe he witnessed what you became. And he didn't know he was going to be demoted and his, God's greatest creation, you and me, would be put over him. And in that moment when he felt, come on, amen. And in that moment, I believe that's when he went into the garden and said, I can't beat him. I might as well join him. And he came in and was able to lie, was able to do things. He does the same thing with the church today. He does the same thing with your mind today. If you know who you are, if you know that you're a chip off the old block, if you know that you're made in his image and likeness, if you know that you're a son and daughter literally of the living God, the living God, the living God, not a dead God, the living God, you're a son or daughter of the living God, of the living God, you have authority and your presence should demand an explanation. The spirit of God is on you. You should be walking around strutting like, I am somebody. Not arrogantly, but in identity. It's not arrogance, it's confidence. 
I'm serious. It's confidence. My kids get to use my last name. Your kids get to use your name and your authority. And they don't wonder if they're your kid or not. Right? You begin to recognize that that's how we are with God. And the devil knows it. The devil is not a son of God. The devil's a creation of God. But he's not a son. You are. So, what does this do for us? It creates strength and ability. And here comes Jesus. And Jesus picked right up where Adam left off. Remember his first confrontation with the devil where he said it is written? Remember that? What were the things that the devil said to him? He said, see all this land and kingdoms and all these things that are out here? They've been given to me. And I can give them to whoever I want. Did Jesus say, you're a liar? He said, no, it is written. The devil was trying to give him a shortcut to fulfill his destiny and give him everything he came to get without the cost. And Jesus stood up and he became not plan C, he became the second Adam, the last Adam. First Adam blew it, he, had to, he lost it as a man, Jesus had to come back as a man, gain it back, give it to us. He's the prototype of what we're supposed to be, sons and daughters of God, fully loaded with the Holy Ghost, walking around and smacking the kingdom of darkness to its knees. That's you and me. When you start to understand this, a lot of doctrinal issues kind of go out the window. And you start going, wait a second, I'm in relationship with the living God. And make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, our God is a consuming fire. A lot of people are like, he's Papa, he's candy apple God, he's amazing. He is all those things, and he loves you. He loves you. But God is a consuming fire. That's what it says in Hebrews. People are like, well, you did. He's, he's love. Yeah, love that is a consuming fire. Amen. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back, and he's not coming back as the lamb. He's coming back, and I believe this, when it says the trumpet will sound, when the trumpet sounds, I think if you look deep into the Greek, Pastor Tafara, Pastor Chipo, deep into the Greek, I think if you look deep in the Greek, I think it actually says, Instead of trumpet, electrolos guitario. I mean, so deep that it's not really there. I think when the angel returns, because it says it'll come with the shout of the angel, the trumpet will blast. I think heaven's going to break open, and I think an angel's going to walk out onto stage with a guitar, right? And one angel's going to look down and be like, how y'all doing tonight, right? And he's going to be like, Right? And everybody's going to be like, what's that? And then an angel from heaven is going to come down going, yeah! That's my interpretation. I'm sorry. Praise God. All right. <laughs> Some of you are like, no. And so, <laughs> if that offends you, you need to be. And so, we realize this, though, that... that no, I do think a real trumpet will sound, amen? That's what the Bible says. Let's get back into good hermeneutics here. And so, but anyway, and so when that happens, <laughs> we're going to realize this is how it goes. And God's going to begin to bring power on the earth. He's going to return. And Jesus is not going to come back as a timid little guy. He's not going to come back as the kind Jesus that's in the, the New Testament. He's coming back. And that's why so many people couldn't believe in him. In, in the New Testament is because they read the scriptures about the second coming. They didn't realize he was doing it twice. He showed up once as a baby. They were looking for the guy that was going to take over the government, that was going to run the nations, that was going to be the lion, the one that came in and said, back off. You know, that's who's coming back the second time. There's one scripture that talks about him as the groomsman of blood. You know, and I, it's an abstract scripture in like uh, Isaiah and all that, but he came in and there's one battle he touches down, kills everybody there, and then comes back. Shows up covered in blood. That's Jesus. He's coming back to finish what the devil tried to start. Praise God. That's strong stuff, man. 
we're in the age of grace. Thank God for grace. But when, when it's all over and we're out of here or whatever that eschatology is, it's going to get a lot different. And he's going to literally bring judgment to the earth. And we won't have to wonder. Like today you wonder, is God judging the earth? Was that God's judgment? You know, this thing that happened in this city or a flood over here or a fire. Is that God's judgment? Ladies and gentlemen, when the book of Revelation breaks out, nobody's going to be wondering if it was God's judgment. When islands shake into the ocean and men are saying, let the mountains fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb because they can't even look up. They won't be able to look at him. Every eye will see him. Everyone will behold him simultaneously. I got to tell you, people aren't going to be like, I wonder if God's dealing with the earth right now. They will know. Judgment of God is not happening today, but it will happen then. Now listen, God loves you. Your identity is so important. And the reason the devil fights you and tries to get fiery darts and thoughts into your mind is because of your identity. He knows the only way to beat you is to get you to think what he wants you to think. And that's why renewing our mind is so important. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.